you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Pro Bowl voting is here. An awesome Pro Bowl starts with awesome players, and your vote helps decide who gets a spot on the AFC and NFC rosters. Show your love, cast your vote, and make sure your favorite players make it to the 2020 Pro Bowl. Vote today and be entered to win exclusive prizes at NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. And now, move the sticks. Ten takeaways from week 10 with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, little takeaway podcast coming your way. Buck, Rhett, what's going on, fellas? Oh, here we go. Got week 10 basically in the books. Got a big one on Monday Night Football. Got a big aftermath loaded up. Hoosiers are ranked. It's a wonderful world. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you guys do know it's basketball season, right? <laughs> 2-0 in basketball, too. You know it's basketball season, uh, so just, let, just letting everybody know. Hey, hey Buck. Hey, Buck, did I show you my bag, by the way? No, you didn't show me your bag. What kind of bag do you have? 
Oh yeah, I got it. I got it somewhere. I've got wins over North Carolina and South Carolina. <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll show it to you later. Don't 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 worry about it. Uh, wow. No big deal. We can get to that wow. another time. Wow. Uh, no no big deal. <laughs> second best team in the Carolinas behind Clemson. I mean, it is what it is. Um, all right, boys. Let's uh let's get to these takeaways before Red starts continuing to talk about a Hoosier football team that even he doesn't really even care about. Um, I'll what? start us off here first of all with the New Orleans Saints. It's not Easter, but they laid an egg. Seven minutes to go in the game right now, and Atlanta leads by 14 points. Straight drop. Breeze looks. Sacked again a fifth time. Grady Jarrett and Adrian Claiborne. Boy, Big Grady is wreaking havoc on the inside. I'm glad the way that was framed with that call because talking about Grady Jarrett wreaking havoc on the inside because yeah. that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and Buck, I want to get to you on this because when I look at, the, at the, uh, the Saints and their two losses, the Rams game, I know that Drew Brees got hurt in that game, but that's a game that was dominated by the interior defensive front of the Rams. And then you fast forward to this one, Grady Jarrett was dominant. Uh, really disruptive throughout the whole game. So that interior pressure, great quarterbacks we always talk about, uh, interior pressure is the way you get to them. Those are the best two interior groups that they've seen thus far. We talk about Aaron Donald and Grady Jarrett, and they lost both those football games. And so when I look down the road, um, they've got Bucks, Panthers. They'll get another shot at the Falcons again, so we'll see how they perform in Atlanta on that one. But then December 8th, the 49ers, that to me is their you know kind of the elite test awaiting them down the road. So between now and then, Buck, they've got to figure out some things inside because you're going to get in the postseason. You're going to see teams uh, that can generate some heat inside. They've got to be better inside. They have to be better inside. The Achilles heel for Drew Brees has always been gut pressure right up to middle uh, because he's a guy that stands at six foot six one. When you bring pressure in his face and because he doesn't really run around, it makes it tougher for him to find his receivers down the field. And so you talked about Grady Jarrett and the games that the Falcons were playing up front, the twists, the stunts, everything was designed to really attack the A-gaps, and it frustrated and disrupted the rhythm of the passing game for the Saints. You talk about looking ahead to the San Francisco 49ers and the teams that are going to be in the tournament. All of those teams have people that are inside that can disrupt and dominate the game. For the Saints to be the team that we think they can be, they're going to have to solve that interior pressure. It's going to have to be a situation where they play better up front on their offensive line. And that will determine whether this ends up being just a fluke, a blip on the Raiders screen, like we kind of feel like now after seeing this week, uh, the week nine loss for the Packers in L.A. to the Chargers was kind of just, all right, that that wasn't yeah. quite the norm, right? They figured it out. They got back to Packers football in week 10. We'll get to that game here shortly. But that's what the Saints have to figure out in order to make this that kind of game, that kind of, all right, let's just throw that one out. Let's move on. Let's get back to being the Saints. The other thing to pay attention to here, and it's a lot of talk uh, in New Orleans about it this morning, as is kind of always the case following a Saints loss, is penalties. 12 penalties in this game. They killed themselves. I'm talking on a 17-play drive for the Falcons. They extended that drive three times by giving them first downs on penalties that the Falcons ended up uh, capitalizing on. So, uh, look, I thought if the Falcons were going to win this game, it was going to be 38-35, not 26-9. to yeah. You know, it was that kind of thing. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the Falcons um, – to get back into it, this is the Falcons team that we all thought we were going to see at the beginning of the year, a team that looked like a legitimate team that could compete in the NFC. And I think the coaching shakeup, uh, I think we have to discuss what uh, Dan Quinn did 
this week. What he did is he put Raheem Morris back on the defensive side, yeah. and Raheem Morris did more stuff with the secondary. And I, I do wonder, did Raheem Morris have a hand in calling the defense because he has been a defensive coordinator in the past? Because this Falcons defense looked better. They looked like they were really in tune to what they wanted to do, and we saw a dominant performance from them that we hadn't seen in maybe like the last year and a half. And, and Buck, I'm glad you brought that up. Steve Weich actually talked to Raheem Morris uh, last night after that win for the Saint, uh, win for the Falcons, and uh, he's going to have uh, some of that conversation on why those position changes were such a big key for the Falcons going into this game. We'll have that for you. We'll tease DJ on the aftermath. I don't want to be teased. I, 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 I actually wanted to know. <laughs> but no, yeah, that's good. we'll get there. That's great. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. Go ahead, Buck. What you got? Lamar Jackson enters the MVP race. Lamar Jackson out of the pistol. Play action. Steps up. Fires to the end zone. He's got his man. Mark Andrews. Touchdown, Ravens. Let's keep talking about the tight ends. Three for three. Three possessions. Three touchdown drives. DJ, um, we've talked about the Baltimore Ravens and we've talked about Lamar Jackson the last few weeks. And it's been a nice story because we talked about the Mm -hmm. offense working and the way Greg Roman and this staff has kind of built this offense around him. You talked about the track team that they put on the outside. But now I believe we we need to kind of start having that conversation about Lamar Jackson and what he's doing in this offense that makes him worthy of consideration as an MVP. In this game alone, 15 for 17, 223, Three touchdowns, another 65 yards on the ground, and a spectacular run that finished with a touchdown. Lamar Jackson in this offense is one of the elite players at this position. And I know that we typically look at the quarterback position in terms of how you play from the pocket, but the way that he is kind of playing as the point man of this offense that is very unique and unorthodox he might be the most valuable player in the league because I don't know if anybody can jump into this offense and do what he's been asked to do. Yeah, and it's been impressive when you look at this team. Now, you come off of a game where you you deliver on a big stage against the New England Patriots. They win that game 37-20. And there's teams, there are teams, and we know, we see it every year in, in every sport, where you rise to the level of your competition and then all of a sudden now you get a little bit of a letdown game or you play a bad team and you kind of, you know, just kind of mess around and ends up being a game. This is a team, this is a skill when you can put bad teams away. And when I look at the way the season started um, for, for Lamar Jackson and you look at what they did to the Miami Dolphins 59-10, to 10, you see a bad team, you, you put them down. And I think you saw it in this game as well. They put this team away early. And Lamar Jackson... You know, you talk about the the track team, and that's kind of what we our idea of how to build this team around him. Yeah. Track team and tight ends. I mean, that's the formula. And Marquise Brown early on in the game, deep post, and then next thing you know, that loosens up everything underneath for all those tight ends. I thought it was a beautiful game plan, and I thought Lamar Jackson. I'm with you, Buck. He's in the um, he's in the MVP discussion. He absolutely belongs in that and I've been impressed with the way he's continuing to grow and evolve is is with his accuracy and touch uh two quick things for me on Lamar the run the spin the touchdown run minus the stakes it was better than Mike Vicks against the Vikings oh yeah it was better it was more impressive yeah right because of the spin now Vicks came in a way bigger spot right that was huge that's a walk-off winner right so that one still gets still gets the top billing but man, Lamar's going to have more of those. Well, no, I, I just think the, the spin move, like just the awareness. And 
it's funny because you go back and you watch the way that he performed at Louisville, and you would see some of those things, but you always won the National Football League against better players, uh, players that are faster and more violent. Can he continue to do the same things? And I think what has been most impressive about Lamar Jackson, his ability to deliver these impact plays have been on par with what he was able to do in college. And you wonder about, like, hey, what's yep. the long-term deal? Like, how, how long can you play like that? I think if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you can't really worry about that. You look at it in a vacuum, like, look, we got his rookie contract and maybe long one after enough. that. Yeah. Let's, let's see what we can do to maximize him playing the way that he has to play to excel, and then we'll deal with the other stuff down the road. But right now, this offense works. Greg Roman really has done a great job of continuing to add pieces to the offense, makes it very, very hard and difficult to defend. Yeah, one thing, this team, they got to third down six times. <laughs> That's how dominant they were. They were four or six on third down. How many of those I mean, were with RG3? hot knife through butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it was it – was, First yeah. and second down, that's all we need. Four downs, you can have four downs. We'll take care of everything in two downs. I mean, it was dominant performance. Last thing I'll say on that one, and then I'll get us to the third takeaway here. Um, we gave Patrick Ricard a lot of credit as a fullback against mm-hmm. the Patriots, and rightly so. He was a big part of that rush game. How about the strip sack he had How about that? on Ryan Finley? Pushing the pocket from <laughs> the interior. Everything. A little two-way player. He spends a lot of time, offense and defense for the Ravens. Valuable player. Another one of those guys um, that, that's a big part of the Ravens' success here. Uh, okay. by, by the way, yeah, by the way, real quick, right? yep. by, by the way, real quick, the uh, I just looked at the record. I wanted to just double-check. Yep, the Cincinnati Bengals are Burr 0-9. Oh. Isn't that, look, how about that? In one game, it's no longer tank for Tua. It's all about Burrow, right? Uh, I can't wait to have that conversation because both of those quarterbacks were very, very impressive on Saturday night. They were. Uh, All right, I'll get us to takeaway number three. Pittsburgh pressures the Rams into defeat. 30 seconds left. Steelers lead is 17-12. The Rams with the ball. First and 15 from their 42. Shotgun snap. Back is gone. He has time. He throws the ball down the field. Intercepted. Minka has it. And that's your ball game. Minka Fitzpatrick with his fifth Oski of the year. And that Tip seals the deal. Tipped by Joe Hayden. Look, DJ Bucky, I want to get your your take on Minka Fitzpatrick here in just a minute, but I want to go in on the pressure. I mentioned it mentioned it in the little tagline there. It is both literal pressure in this game on Jared Goff and now the figurative pressure on the Rams to try to remain a playoff contender because both of those things were trouble and are trouble now for the Rams. So here we go. Before we go off and say that the Rams offensive line is not up to the standard that we've seen in the first two years of the Sean McVay era, which it's not. That's clear. We got to give some credit to Pittsburgh here. I mean, it felt like they collapsed the pocket almost immediately on almost every drop back that Jared Goff had. They sacked him four times. They pressured him on 15 of the 45 dropbacks. I actually thought it was a lot more than that. It felt like a lot more than that. And that's a credit yeah. to what they were doing on defense there. Um, and then the other part is the four turnovers, three of them offensively. One of them was on the, the Hecker punt fake drop back which I don't, I, I, punt I, fake you've ever I mean, seen I don't, I don't know what that was but it was it was a hard I, I, I was waiting for them to call time out and get out of that it's just they, they never did so here's the other thing on the 45 dropbacks he Jared Goff was sacked four times okay he completed 22 passes in this game so he was he was about at a little over 50 percent completion mm-hmm. the Steelers picked off two of them and they got their hands on 13 others they broke up 13 Jared Goff passes Joe Hayden had five of them on his own. 
it got to the point for the Steelers defense where, one, I was surprised if Jared Goff got the ball off, and two, I was surprised if it didn't end up somehow in the hands of a Pittsburgh Steeler. That's how inept it had become for the Rams and how dominant it had become for the Steelers. Now, look, if, if you know, I, I'd like to think that Sean McVay is, is a coach who I can, I have confidence in in figuring this thing out for the Rams, but maybe their offensive line doesn't allow them to do that this year. It's It's been that troublesome. It's been that troublesome. But I want to use the positive part of what yeah. you talked about with the Pittsburgh Steelers in their sure. defense. Um, a lot of times, DJ, and we've had this discussion, um, players over picks. And when the Pittsburgh Steelers made yep. the move to get Minka Fitzpatrick, there was a lot of conversation about why would you give up a first-round pick? The season is in peril without Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but what we're seeing, known commodities have the ability to really instantaneously upgrade your team. We saw with Laramie Tunsil in Houston. We're seeing it with Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick, since coming over to the Steelers, has been an absolute dominant player. He has been worthy of being the 11th pick in the draft where he was selected. And he has... I don't want to say he is the sole reason why their pass defense has changed, but when you get six interceptions since your arrival, that says something. Might be and a defensive player of the year, Buck. Might be defensive player of the year. And is that what, good? And what they've done, and we've talked about this on Path to the Draft, fit and scheme is important. They got him, and instead of trying to make him a jack-of-all-trades player, they position him as a deep middle player. He is the free safety. He is enabled to, he's allowed to really just look at the eyes of the quarterback and make plays. He's a ball hawk, and we're seeing that play out. I think so much of what the Steelers have been able to do defensively is because they had a vision for how they wanted Minka Fitzpatrick to play, and it has really worked with what they had, the greater vision of the defense. They are dominant, and right now, I think you have to talk about them being a playoff team because right now they feel like they can play old Pittsburgh football with their defense leading the way, and it's working for them. Yeah, let, let me get a couple things you hit there. Uh, you know, for, he's got five. He's got five picks since he went there. Yeah, which is ridiculous in that amount in that short amount of time. But, but Buck, let, let's think about this first thing. If we were going to do, let's call them th- uh, three level trios, right? All three levels of the defense. If you went league wide and said you got to take one player from the front, one player from the linebacker position, and one player from the back end, I don't know that there is a group uh, that's better than the Steelers you'd want to build around if you're talking about going to the future. TJ Watt is 25 years old. Uh, Devin Bush is 21 years old at linebacker. Minka Fitzpatrick is 22 years old at safety. So you talk about all three levels of your defense having big-time elite impact players. Now, that front has a bunch of other good players, too. When you talk about Hayward, um, you look at the way the Bud Dupree's really started to come on. But just those three guys, I think I might take those over any other three in the league when you're talking about building a defense. Can we do that, by the way, in the offseason? Can we go through the, the, the little the, video? Yeah, can we do that? Can we do each level? Pick a level? Oh, three level uh, pick a player from each level? Yeah. Yeah, let's. Let, all right, just mark that I, down I like, there, Kent. You good? I like that okay. idea. You like I your wanna, own I idea? I want to go real quick, boys. Yeah. I want to get. Yeah, I do too. Very much. <laughs> I want to get to this other thing on the Rams here, real quick. Because, okay. um, Buck, I want to get your thoughts on this. When I watch this tape, um, when there's no illusion of run, mm-hmm. the Rams stink. Yep. I mean, they're, if they're in shotgun and it's just pure drop back, which they did a bunch, I, 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 don't, I hate it, man. To me, get under center. If you don't want to give the ball to Todd Gurley, that's fine. But at least you have the illusion of Todd Gurley. When everybody in the whole stadium knows you're just dropping back to throw the football, they're not good enough up front to block people. They're not good enough to make things happen. So to me, I, I just I don't understand that. Get under center, and if you want to throw the football, use the illusion of run, play action. Let them at least worry and think about Todd Gurley. You just take a you just take a normal three to five you know three or five from the gun with no play action. They're 
it's not any good, man. I, I don't understand that. No, I don't like it. And, and I'll say this goes all the way back to what they really haven't done this year, which is what they did the previous two years. You remember all the fly sweep action that we used yeah. to see from the L.A. Rams? Yep. And you remember how they used to give it to everybody, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cub, Robert, Robert Woods. Woods yep. Everybody on the perimeter would touch the ball. And what that did is that made the defense stop them not only uh, worrying about Ty Gurley, but you had to stop them horizontally from side to side. And what has happened, Sean McVay has gotten away from that part of their offense. A lot of what they were able to do in the running game those first two years he was there was deception, misdirection, kind of smoke and mirrors offensive football they're not doing that anymore so he has to get back 20th to the, in the league in rushing yeah he has to get back to leaning on the run game using the misdirection and deception of the fly sweep stuff and being committed to it and I think he has fallen into the trap of a lot of what a lot of offense coordinators fall into they are intoxicated with the big play he has to get back on the grind and then the grind will lead to the big plays and in that vein Jared Goff has gone from a top 10 least pressured quarterback mm-hmm. a year ago to a borderline top 10 most pressured quarterback this year. Big difference. Absolutely. I'll keep us moving here, but again, I just want to reiterate, if you don't want to run it, that's fine, but at least give us the illusion of run. Um, That's something that they've got to figure out there and get corrected uh, for Sean McVay and company. All right, let's get things going to a game that I'm sure everybody was really (laughs) locked in and watching, Uh, the Battle of New York, the Snoopy Bowl. Uh, The Jets, yes, the Jets. I guess they have a pass rush. Third down and a long one, close to two. Barkley Ballone set back, bunch set right. Play action, Jones back to throw. Under some pressure, he'll be hit. Jamal Adams takes the ball away. He's going to run right and score. Jamal Adams to the five, is into the end zone for a touchdown. Six sacks here for the Jets, a team that doesn't really have much pass rush, but you saw there, or you heard there, Jamal Adams uh, with the sack, the, the really the hat trick there, the sack, take the ball away and score. Um, he had two sacks in this ballgame. They rolled him up. He was very aggressive coming off the edge. He destroyed Saquon Barkley in pass protection. It's, Barkley had a tough time with him uh, in this ballgame. So, to me, generating pass rush where you don't really have one, I tip my cap there to Greg Williams. Um, and I think on the other side of things, Daniel Jones, and you look at the box score, 26 of 40, 308 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, looks pretty darn good. But, man, the fumbling Fumbles. thing has yeah. got to get figured out. I think he might be at was he at 13 fumbles or something like that now? It is ridiculous, uh, the number of fumbles. So that is an area he's going to have to clean up going forward. Yeah, he has to clean that up. He has, he has to show better pocket awareness. I think it's one of those things that young quarterbacks have to know that in the National Football League, defensive players, they are hunting the ball at all times. They're swiping at it. They're punching at it. They're aggressively going because everyone understands the value of the takeaway. Um, I think I would like to look at th- this Jets defense and what they were able to do. You talk about the pass rush pressure, being able to get – a number of defenders around the quarterback using Jamal Adams and putting him near the line of scrimmage and letting him have an impact on the game. The one thing that we can talk about Jamal, Jamal is not necessarily a ball hawk, but he's a playmaker. And I thought Greg Williams did a great job of deploying him the way that you have to. You have to make him a box defender. You have to make him someone that can impact the game, not only as a run defender, but as a pass defender, be it as a blitzer. Greg Williams understands how to use number 33, and number 33 came up in big-time fashion. Quick positive, quick negative for the Giants in this one, uh, because that's what I was mostly looking at here. Saquon sneezes, and he gets a yard. Like, to have one singular yard, and obviously there were some gains and some losses that were a product of that final tally, 
that's not right. Something's something's messed up there for them to figure that. I know the Nate Solder went out with a concussion in this game, um, but that that can't happen. Obviously, moving forward, positively though for the Giants, they have found something. Darius Slayton with Daniel Jones and <laughs> Darius Slayton. <laughs> that connection is impressive, and it's not just been this game. This is his second multiple touchdown game this season. Uh, they have found themselves a little groove, and that's exciting for Giants fans moving forward. Two things on the things that you brought up. One, anyone that studies Saquon Barkley in college knew that he's more of a Barry Sanders-like producer, meaning you're going to see negative run, negative run, negative run, negative run, run, big run. That is how he played at Penn State. So a little bit of this is who he is and who he always has been. That connection that you talk about with um, Daniel Jones and Slayton, sometimes that is a byproduct of those guys working together on the practice field. When Daniel Jones was not the starting quarterback, he was working with the twos and sometimes running the scout team. He develops a chemistry and a connection with the guys who are also running with those teams. And so I am not surprised to see him kind of have a comfort zone and a comfort level with a player that is kind of under the radar. But because they have so many reps working together on scout team and on the practice field, I think that's what you're seeing play out in games. And it's not a disrespect to Golden Tate, but it's just how it works out. Sure. All right, Buck, I think you're up next here, pal. Titans find success with Tannehill at the helm. Tannehill looking Looking, firing over the middle, caught. Humphreys five. Humphreys in zone. Touchdown Titans. Touchdown Titans. Touchdown Titans. Adam Humphreys, 23 yards, and the Titans lead 33 to 32. You know this Tennessee Titans team was kind of. I mean, I don't know. They were just kind of lost on offense. And then they made the move to go and get Ryan Tannehill, like in terms of insert him into the starting lineup. And what we have seen is an offense that has a little more confidence. Um, They're composed. And a lot of it stems from the guy that is at QB1. I'm not saying that Ryan Tannehill is a top 10 quarterback. But what I'm saying is he is the right guy for this offense at this time. His ability to manage the offense, his ability to come up and make some plays. He may be a little bit more of a risk taker than Marcus Mario. And because of that, you have to defend the entire field. Now, his stat line doesn't wow you. 13 for 19, 181 pass yards, two touchdowns. He added 37 rushing yards. But because there's a confidence, uh, there's a confidence from the offense coordinator and from Mike Vrabel that he can make some timely plays when they need to be made. It has allowed them to complement a running game that has shown some dominant uh, flashes with Derrick Henry, and it's just the right thing for them. So I don't know if Ryan Tannehill is a better player than Marcus Mariota, but I know he's a better fit for what they want to do. Well, I want to get to Red on this one because, Red, I I know uh, Bucky's a big MMA fan. I don't know if you are, but I I don't know if you've ever heard of the term kind of dirty boxing, right? You you want to get in kind of a street fight when you're in the cage, and it's just – to me, that Chiefs, this Chiefs team, when you look at their last 16 games, they're 9-7, and seven, okay? Mm-hmm. Darn near a 500 football team. And when you try and find a common theme, for the most part, it's they find themselves getting in these street fights, getting beat up. And, and Derrick Henry, to me, uh, just jamming a ball down their throats. We saw the Colts uh, do this <laughs> when they beat formula. them earlier this year. So much of the focus was on their, you know, the man coverage that they played, and that was the takeaway coming out of that game. But the other side of it, they just, just ran the ball down their throats and were just more physical than they were. And I don't know, you know, it's that old phrase, you know, how are 
are you when you get punched in the face? And Pat Mahomes had a huge game. He was plenty good enough to win. Yeah. But it's hard when you can't when your defense can't get off the field because you get the ball jammed down your throat, and that's what happened in this ball game. And I think that that also is a correlation to the brand of offense that we've seen from the Chiefs as well. They're not they're not truly physical on offense either, which it, which is a departure from what we've seen the last uh, year plus from the Chiefs, right? I mean, you saw Kareem Hunt uh, beginning of of the year before of last year and the year before, and then you saw Damian Williams at the end of last year was a major force for the Kansas City Chiefs in the run game. We have not seen the run game take shape for the Chiefs this year. And while, yes, Mahomes has been really good and he can keep the offense afloat, I think that you know the run defense and the run offense can kind of go hand in hand there, uh, which brings me to the Titans on this one. Are the Titans a team that's built to come from behind? That is a question that we have asked and seen answered in the last four plus years, week in and week out. And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. But with Ryan Tannehill, they can come from behind. Uh, now over 300, almost 300, 300 yards in a couple of these games, but the yards don't even matter. It's when the yards have come, especially in this last uh, this last game, that last uh, drive. Yes, they were aided by that strange field goal situation that the Colts had and the intentional grounding. All that was really weird, but they took advantage of their opportunities. Tannehill was clutch, and while Derrick Henry is the catalyst of that offense, Tannehill is the complement and that is the formula for the Titans to make it work. And we saw it manifest itself. And what a feeling that is for Tennessee to now get the win, go to 500 and go into the bye feeling really good about themselves. And the team that has a real opportunity here in the wild card, maybe even in the, in the AFC South when it's all said and done. Yeah, they do have an opportunity. Like this quarterback has worked in the way they play. You talk yeah. about their dirty football, it works for them. All right, I'll get us moving here to the takeaway number six. And that is the Packers reestablish the run. Roger shotgun, he's got Jones to his right. The snap, the give, Jones up the middle, cuts wow. it back. He's to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone, touchdown! Step through a tackle attempt by Luke Keekley of all people. 13-yard touchdown run, and Aaron Jones is doing for the Packers. What a shot a maker's mark would do for your Miller light. <laughs> Taking it to another level. <laughs> Goodness. What? <laughs> I mean, look, I love it. Brian Belaga had a great block. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what his drink of choice is. My goodness, what a call there from the uh, Packers radio yeah. crew. Uh, I mean, it made me thirsty, uh, but uh, Kent, way to work on that, going deep. I appreciate that. But now look, uh, now, now, Kent, that's exactly the call that I would have picked out with the tagline that I came up with there, but I am not just talking about reestablishing the run on offense, talking about reestablishing the run defense as well. Uh, So they limited Christian McCaffrey, limited Christian McCaffrey to 108 rushing yards, which absolutely (laughs) feels like a win, doesn't it? It feels like a win, especially for a defense in the Packers that in their two losses this season were dominated on the ground by the Eagles and then also by the Chargers just a week ago. So they figured it out and then... I mean, the perfect picture was at the very end of the game, the snow falling at Lambeau, and a defense rises up to make a goal line stand on the most prolific rusher in the NFL right now and the most prolific running game, and they hold them uh, to preserve a victory. That was huge for the Packers in the run defense. If they can continue that, man. This is truly a good team moving forward. And then, obviously, they go back to the run on offense. I mean, it wasn't... 
it wasn't the best rushing performance by a team we've seen, but it was more like what's been a big part of the Packers offensive success this season. They went 27 carries, 163 yards at six a clip on the ground. That's a recipe for success, especially when you compare it to what they did a week ago against the Chargers, which was total for the day, 11 carries and 45 yards. That was a, a marked improvement. Am, am I am I am I crazy though, boys? Because I I watch this game and I think two turnovers to, to none is the difference in the game. Yeah. I mean uh, McCaffrey. I mean, geez, they average five point two yards a carry. McCaffrey had twenty carries for a buck of weight. Um, they give up three hundred and seven passing yards to Kyle Allen in the snow. Um, it, you know, two turnovers to none. That was the story of the game, and they don't they don't punch it in at the very end there. But um, I didn't leave that game thinking this is some great all time you know really good. Aaron Rodgers' defense that he's got. No, I didn't think it was either, but I thought it was a lot once again. better. But I mean, they gave, I mean, they gave up 120 rushing yards, 5.2 a carry. It's not like this is some great run defense. I mean, I mean, they've got they got the ball jammed down their throats and other losses. I'm just not willing to say like, hey, I feel great. They limited Christian McCaffrey to 108 yards, 5.4 a carry. Like, would you feel would you feel guys. good about it if your defense did that and was able to come up with a game saving? Well, not this. I mean, they had to still had to make a two point conversion, but I mean, yeah, they a game saving goal Allen. line stand. They stopped Kyle Allen after letting him drive the ball all the way down the field. That's true, and, and almost won the football game. And you and at home in the snow, you got to stop at the end of the game. That's great, but I, to me, I didn't come out of this thinking like this Green Bay team. You know, the whole narrative that now they've got this, you know, the great defense and this is a whole new uh, new deal here with Green Bay. I don't know. I, I didn't come away feeling like that. I thought it's a good win. I get tip my cap. It's a good win. But this team still has issues. No, I think I think this team has issues. But I think the way that you have to judge them on defense is can they get stops? I don't think this will be one of those all-time great defenses, but can yeah. they get stops? Now, the other way that you can look at it is can they play on offense to force you to be one-dimensional where you can't stick to the running game? Can they become a team that uh, really wins the first? first quarter, meaning they jump out behind Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. They get a quick 14 on you, and you don't have the patience and the discipline to stick with the running game. That might be the way that the Packers have to play going forward. But to bring it all back, Aaron Jones, to me, look, Aaron Rodgers is clearly the MOP. He's their most outstanding player. But their most valuable player may be Aaron Jones in terms of his value as a dual threat catching the ball out the backfield, running the ball, being able to score in a variety of different ways, he gives them kind of another anchor to their offense that they haven't had in previous years. Yep. No, I, look, it, it's going gonna, it's it's gonna to be interesting NFC, man, because when you look at the way the Saints showed a little vulnerability there, we'll see mm-hmm. what happens in the big game here with the 49ers. The Seahawks are there. I mean, it is. It's and set up to be a fun run, man. You're about to get us to another team that's going to have something to say in the NFC North here as well. Yep, there we go, the Vikings. A clean Kirk equals a win. Third and goal at the one. Cousins turns, play action, throwing to the back corner of the end zone. It's caught Kyle Rudolph's second touchdown of the night. This one a much easier two-handed grab in the back left corner of the end zone. And it's 13-0 Minnesota with 32 seconds to play in quarter number one. Buck, you remember the line, shake what your mama gave you? Yeah. Uh, for the for the Vikings, it's it's take what the defense gives you. Uh, you just got to change the words up. You can still sing the song. You just got to take it. Go ahead and sing it for us, pal. <laughs> uh, when Kirk Cousins – well, no, I'm going to leave you alone there. Kay. But when he just takes what the defense gives you, they want, they want to give you easy completions, take them. Don't get too greedy. Uh, protect the football. They ran the football. They got Dalvin Cook involved in the pass game. I thought defensively the Cowboys really made an effort trying to take away Stephon Diggs. Um, they drew a lot of traffic, which created a lot of one-on-ones underneath with linebackers and Dalvin Cook. They took advantage of it. But I, I said a clean Kirk equals a win. Um, when he only gets sacked one time, uh, when he doesn't throw an interception, when he's just patient, 
they have the rest of this team is built to win, man. That's the role he has to play, and he played it very well in this ballgame. Look, he did a great job of complimenting a dominant running game. And even though Dalvin Cook didn't go over 100, 26 carries, 97 yards, he only averaged 3.7, but it was enough to control the game. I think the big thing when we talk about Kirk Cousins, he was comfortable taking the check down and dropping the ball off to Cooks. When you look at Cook, he had seven receptions, 86 yards. This is the eighth game where he's had over 100 scrimmage yards. We can talk about Kirk Cousins, and he's always going to get a lot of the attention as the big money quarterback. But really, this offense runs through Dalvin Cook. And when Dalvin Cook is having success, this offense is successful, particularly when Kirk Cousins is very, very patient. Guys, I just like I have Kirk Cousins narrative fatigue. Oh, like, is this it? I mean, are we, are <laughs> we over it? Can we just be done with it now? Oh, and I mean, like, game. look, he played well. The team played well around him. They won the football game. He's a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Like, let's just let's let's just go evaluate the the games. Oh, right? What fun is that? What fun is that? <laughs> it's his first primetime win against no, the team. Right, but it's the formula. Yeah. Right. yeah. It, right. It's the formula, though. We talk about that every week on here, right? We talk. Well, you got to teams got to find their formula, and I think the Vikings have settled into their formula. They're, you know, be. I guess the phrase I would use: selectively aggressive. You know, don't play, don't play too passive like they were early in the season. Um, when you get your shots, you take your shots. But man, outside of that, just take what they give you, um, and that's the way he's playing. And defensively, I thought the, the job the Vikings did on Ezekiel Elliott. Um, it was outstanding. I thought they, they handled the line of scrimmage. I thought they did a good job of keeping those linebackers free, and um, they shut him down. They put the ball in Dak's hands, and on the and, and Dak's credit, played a great game. Uh, Dak Prescott has done nothing but prove the fact that he needs to get paid. They didn't win this football game. So does Amari um, Cooper. But he did more than his part. I, yeah, no, and Amari Cooper as well. So, I mean, this Cowboy team, I know this is a tough loss for them, uh, but this team's still very much in the mix here. Yeah. You want to get us to the next one there, Buck? The Browns get back on track. Second and goal at the seven-yard line. So really, Chubb didn't get anything on that first down carry. And out come the Browns with Higgins going out wide to the right. Three in a triangle to the left. In the backfield, Nick Chubb on the right hip of Mayfield. From the Buffalo 7 on second down. He's back. He settles. He settles. He's throwing. It's a touchdown! It's Rashard Higgins! Welcome back, Rashard Higgins! Look, man, DJ, you talked about everyone has to find their their formula for success. And the Cleveland Browns need to understand exactly who they are and how they have to win. They win when they run the football, Baker Mayfield throws off play action, and they don't worry about forcing the ball to OBJ. They just throw it to the open receiver. When they do that, they win games. We saw here Baker Mayfield, 238 passing yards on 38 attempts, two touchdowns. Nick Chubb had a 100-yard game. Jarvis Landry had 97 receiving yards on nine catches, only 10 yards a pop. But what we're seeing, the ball goes to the open man. We saw Rashard Higgins get the game-winning touchdown. When Baker Mayfield basically just sticks to the script, allows the offense to kind of come to him, they have success. They have to make sure that they just get the young quarterback to stay on schedule, just hit the open guy. When they do that, they win games. When I look at, uh, at Nick Chubb, Buck, I see a guy who to me is, is a top five running back in the NFL right now. Um, he's a young back, but he's got power and he's got burst. I, I don't know that I, I liked him coming out of Georgia, but I don't know that I saw this much juice. And you got to remember all the injuries he had in college. Um, having healthy off seasons, I think, has helped him a little bit. Uh, but he's got a little, he's got a little giddy up, man. Uh, a, a little burst there, and I think this offense, like you said, is at at their best um, when the offense runs through that run game and Nick Chubb and sets everything else up. 
Um, to me, I think he's their he's their best offensive player with all the star power and all the stuff you can put up in lights. To me, Nick Chubb's the best player on this offense. I think we have to make sure we mention that Kareem Hunt played his first game back, and he was a contributor. He has seven he receptions. Blocked his the blocker. <laughs> yeah, he he look. He has seven receptions. That's and true. like it's going to be interesting how they continue to evolve this offense with these two running backs because DJ, I do believe that if the Cleveland Browns really want to stick to their recipe, they need to <laughs> dig back and in the, somewhere in the building. See if they can dust off that old playbook that the Cleveland Browns used to have with Ernest, Ernest Biner and Kevin Mack when they had the two running backs playing at the same time. I used to love yeah. playing with those guys on Tecmo because I believe Kareem Hunt <laughs> and Nick Chubb are going to give them a dynamic backfield. And if you think about running this offense inside out, meaning running backs to the outside playmakers, they could really give people problems if they stick to Chubb and Hunt and then let the other people eat off of their leftovers. Can I give you just one thing here on the on the AFC North because I, I, yeah. I you know, haven't worked in that division and when it was you know when I when I was there we had Baltimore was rolling Pittsburgh was rolling Cincinnati was under Carson Palmer was really good um, Cleveland was you know kind of up and down but we talk about the game you know goes in cycles and it comes back to being a, a ground and pound of physical affair Buck let, indulge me with this real quick you've got Lamar Jackson and the way they run the rock on a historic pace there with the Baltimore Ravens you just mentioned and we've talked about Chubb and and Kareem Hunt that's a that could be a a pound you punch you in the face offense with these guys then you look at Pittsburgh with that offensive line that you know the backs that they have that's how they want to play a very physical physical affair and so the only team we're not talking about is the Cincinnati Bengals. Can I just uh, – this is totally off script here, but I just got thinking about this. Okay. They're going to move on from Andy Dalton. Ryan Finley's only got one week, but, you know, look, looks like they could be trying to find their quarterback next year. What if you get your offensive line back healthy, led by your first-round pick, Jonah Williams, who missed the whole year this year. Cordy You've Glenn. got Joe Mixon. Um, let's – you get Cordy Glenn back. Let's yeah. say with that, you know, their, their number one overall pick, we all assume they're going quarterback – what if they make a trade, not for that first overall pick, but with other picks, and they make the trade for Cam Newton, and then you use that mm. first overall pick? Maybe you trade down a little bit, continue to fortify that offensive line. Um, you get a bounty of picks, or they could just take Chase Young on the defensive side mm-hmm. of the ball um, to give you a just stud right there in there. Ohio. But then we could have you want to talk about you want to talk about a smash mouth AFC North. Now that would be fun. It's funny that you mentioned that about Cam Newton. I didn't necessarily put Cam Newton in Cincinnati, but I did think about Chase Young and thinking about what you could do with Chase Young and really building up that team and making sure it's defensive-oriented. Now, I know they went out and got Zach Taylor because of his offensive acumen, but as you mentioned, this division – is becoming an old-school smash-mouth division. And the only way that you can get to the playoffs is you have to be able to win (laughs) your division. And so I think Cincinnati really has to do a long, hard look on how they want to build their team because (coughs) playing finesse ball is not going to work in the AFC North. All of these teams are kind of taking and adopting a bully mentality. And if you don't have that, you can have a tough time winning because we talked about the running games in Baltimore and Cleveland and then the defense in Pittsburgh. If you're not built the right way, you're not going to be able to sustain yourself. Good stuff. Yeah, I no, I like that. It. I like that on the north. And uh, real quick before I get us to the ninth takeaway here, I just saw this uh, pop through the old uh, news alert. 
and it may not matter, but Bill Callahan has said that Dwayne Haskins will be the starting quarterback for the Redskins for the rest of the season, as we kind of expected that might be. Okay, I'll, I'll move us back here because I'm probably going to spend more time uh, on a on a game between two teams that have a combined 10 losses right now uh, that probably then probably needs to be spent, but I'll do it anyway. The Bears stop the bleeding. He's in the slot left with Cordero Patterson. Gabriel out to the numbers left. Stand up tight end. Trey Burton first and goal, nine yard line. Trubisky under center with Cohen in the backfield. Trubisky on the take. Flips it out of the left flat with a lot of room to run to the 15 to the 10 to the 5 in the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown, Cohen! Touchdown, Bears! Nine yards on the swing. And the Bears lead it 13 6. Okay. There's some qualifiers here. First, let's start with the Lions. Okay. Matthew Stafford was out of this game. And let's give some credit to a guy who went 136 consecutive games without missing a start. More than 3,200 days uh, for a guy that many erroneously labeled as injury injury prone in his first two years. Uh, That dude is a tough football player uh unfortunately was forced to the sidelines in this one he was an iron man second only to philip rivers uh was now well over 200 uh consecutive starts but um Hat tip to Matthew Stafford uh hope he gets back sooner rather than later the Lions were limited uh to basically J.D. McKissick at running back in this game after Ty Johnson went down early uh with an injury so they're on a backup quarterback in Jeff Driscoll even though he performed pretty admirably against the tough Chicago Bears defense in relief of Stafford, but he had to throw it over 40 times in this game, which is is not what the Lions were hoping to do, but because they got down a little bit and then they also were down on the running backs, it's something that they had to do, and that's unfortunate, but a brief awakening of the Chicago Bears offense won this game and stopped the bleeding of a four-game losing streak, and I'll take you through it right now. For the first 25 minutes of this football game, the Bears accumulated 21 total yards on 15 plays. They were booed off the field in the first three minutes of the game with their first three and out on their first offensive possession. Same old story, right? Same old thing that we've seen this season from Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears offense. But then it started at the 440 mark of the second quarter, 440 to go in the first half. Trubisky completes five short passes on a drive in which he attempted eight. They get a couple of runs and he throws a really good, uh, beautifully placed ball in the end zone to Ben Broniker to end the half. They get a little momentum right at the end of the first half. Come out second half, they score, they drive down another big touchdown drive. They were aided by a long penalty. Still, they've now scored on consecutive possessions. Then the Bears defense feeding off a little life from their offense or maybe what feels like the first time all season. And they pick Jeff Driscoll off. Give the Bears offense a short field. Mitchell Trubisky takes advantage. They score a touchdown on three consecutive offensive possessions in this game, spanning the first and the second half. Okay, so I'm going to just give you this here. So from the 440 mark of the first half to the 940 point So like just over five minutes into the second half, they scored 20 points on three touchdowns, eight minutes and 10 seconds of game time. They felt like the Bears that went 12 and four last year, the 12 and four Bears. Now in the other 40, in the other 51 minutes and 50 seconds, they accumulated 45 total yards, 181 total yards in eight minutes of game time for the other 51 minutes, 45 yards. So Point being, they stop the bleeding, but what happens next week when you take the Band-Aid off? Does it just continue to gush, or have they figured something out? That's what we have to figure out with the Bears. You know, the thing with the Bears, everyone... I got one for you, Buck. I got one for you, Buck, real quick. 
I want to I want to just drop this on you real quick. Um, remember last year when we everybody would tell the the stat about how Khalil Mack's sack total compared to the Oakland Raiders team yes. and their mm-hmm. sack total. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just like to point out that at this point in time, Benson Mayoa seven sacks for the Raiders, Khalil Mack five and a half for the Bears. Whoa. Khalil Mack has one sack in his last five games. And so I, I do I do think it's interesting. I, look, I, Khalil Mack's a great player, but I do think it's interesting that wh- why everybody was piling on that so early on. I see very few people revisiting this thing at this point in time uh, and pointing that, that kind of a stat out. No, I, look, I, I think it's one of those things that we have to talk about, and that's why we have to be careful about making these decisions in a vacuum, particularly when it talks about trades. The Chicago Bears look like they won the trade initially. When they got Khalil Mack, he gave them a, a surge. But now we have seen that he has not been able to necessarily des- deliver that high-impact production. And it's not necessarily all on him. Sometimes it's the teammates. Sometimes it's their defense not being positioned in a way where they can kind of play downhill because they're protecting the lead. But the Oakland Raiders were able to take advantage of that. They have all these picks. They're beginning to play well. And you see a team that is emerging as a viable playoff contender in the AFC West. So maybe we did kind of jump the gun a little bit when we rushed to judgment when we were evaluating that trade. Yeah, no, it's just interesting to look back on it. And we'll see, you know, good win for the Bears, see if they can keep a little momentum uh, going here. Last one, uh, last takeaway of the week, Murray to Kirk. The future's here. Second and 12 at the 15 with seven and a half to go in the fourth. Cardinals down three. Five wide receivers. Murray in shotgun. Takes the snap. Drops back. Throws over the middle. Kirk caught it. Touchdown. The third touchdown today for Christian Kirk. And the Cardinals are back in front with 7.22 to play. Look, I, I know they lost this football game. But this is a perfect outcome if you're a fan of the Cardinals because what you want to see, this team's not going to the postseason this year. So let's get as high a pick as we can. But give us some excitement and give us a vision into the future and what it looks like. And to me, it's two guys that uh, were teammates at Texas A&M at one point in time. Uh, But Christian Kirk, three touchdowns in this game. Really, you saw the speed that showed up in a big way. And then I thought Kyler Murray was money. I thought he was outstanding in this football game. The way he was able to push the ball down the field, he made a handful of ridiculous throws. Um, He was selective when he wanted to run, but was able to get some chunks there at times as well. To me, if I'm a Cardinals fan, give me more of this give me give me this connection give me points give me excitement and let's lose some football games baby because we're not going anywhere this year give me a high pick so I can continue to build around my young quarterback but I I I think not only is uh is Murray playing well you know I I I, it's a big word Kyler Murray's going to be he is going to be a superstar in this league when when you watch the way he's throwing the football and it's only good this is going to be the worst team he plays on um, for a long time. That team's only going to get better around him. He, he's he's special, man. Look, he is a special player. He's a special playmaker, and we, we are seeing how it plays out. Christian Kirk being a dynamic receiver and the connection that these guys have, and then Cliff Kingsbury becoming more and more comfortable calling games in the National Football League. They are not ready to pop yet, but you can already see that there's a solid foundation being put in place for this offense in Arizona. And if they continue to get pieces, another big-time receiver, maybe a dominant tight end over the middle of the field, you can see where this offense is going to score a lot of points. And if they can get the defense, just to compliment them, slow the game down a little bit, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I kind of like what is kind of bubbling up in Arizona. A uh, quick uh, note here on the Tampa Bay Bucks, who won this game, by the way. Um, congratulations uh, to Bruce Arians and, and Jameis Winston, and particularly 
Jamel Dean, who, uh, DJ, you might remember, I uh, criticized on the aftermath. Yeah. Uh, he gave up three touchdowns uh, against Seattle a week ago. Was I mean, it, it looked it looked bad. I think he'd probably be the first to tell you that. In fact, uh, I'm reading a story here by Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times who said that all week this week he arrived at Todd Bowles' offense, uh, office, uh, the defense coordinator for the Bucs, uh, by 7 a.m., full hour before meeting started. Had him talk me through uh, things, teach me the game of football. And uh, he played better in this game. And in that last scenario, he had the interception that led to the Bucks game winning drive. OK, uh, he was not supposed to be on the field in that situation. Vernon Hargraves was benched by Bruce Arians for not giving full effort. Wow. Mm. They put Jamel Dean. Wow, in. Wow, that is big news. They put Jamel Dean in and he comes in and makes the game saving play to, and really the game turning play for the Bucks to intercept the ball deep in, in you know, their own territory and then turn it back over to the offense who goes down there and makes it happen. So uh, credit to Jamel Dean for bouncing back and in a game that can be brutal when you know, the lights are brightest and when you don't perform, um, congratulations to a young kid who, uh, who kind of turned it around. How about that? Yeah. That, that, that's, yeah and, that's, that's a really and, cool and story. And look, the, uh, uh, that's outstanding. The other thing I would add is Ronald Jones, who could not catch a cold at his Phew. pro day, literally one of yeah. the worst uh, pass so performances I've ever yeah. seen at a pro day. Had Good work caught for eight him. balls in this game. Good work for him. Uh, so nice day, for, nice, nice game for him. And um, this Tampa Bay team is look; they can score points now. Uh, that that's not a problem. They can run up the scoreboard, and Shaq Barrett continues to get after the quarterback. Those are the things you've been able to rely on. Um, they just need to get continue to grow and, and, and get some better pieces on that roster. But uh, fun to watch. Fun game. You know, when I checked in on that game, it was uh, it was fun to watch. Anything else you guys want to add before we get out of here? I mean, can we send some congratulations out to the Miami Dolphins? For those who we did not mention in the show, winning streak. Oh, Longest winning streak winning for streak B-Flow? in the AFC East right now. <laughs> Way to go! How about that? I love it. He's done a good job. Yeah, yes. That's all I got. I don't know if they're celebrating though. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the other uh, side of it. Uh, all right, I, I do want to tease. We've got uh, big time coach, maybe two coming up on. Uh, you got on Tom Allen coming on. We got so much. Yeah, there you go. We got so much. Uh, Tim Allen, no, he's, I think he was on Tom, home improvement. Tom uh, Allen. <laughs> there's so so much positive feedback from the Urban Meyer interview. If you haven't checked it out, please uh, do. I loved it. Um, heard from coaches and people all over the NFL world as well as the college world that got a lot out of that. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, be sure to do so. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys again for leaving us those uh, reviews and uh, comments there on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question, drop it in there. We'll answer it next, uh, next episode. Actually, on Thursday, we'll answer those questions. Bucky Brooks. Rhett Lewis, I'm Daniel Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh. 
Green Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.